coming up next on the Webfly Swing podcast. Like the worst day of my life playing on repeat and like learning how to walk and swallow and slightly talk and God, just everything. And like the therapist there, like we worked on tying my shoes, which took me like until January, like God, months later, which was so painful. Like I can't even tie my freaking shoes. And how do I tie a fly? And I would just like daydream in my hospital bed about tying hippie stomper and like, what do I do to tie worms? And That was Andrew Grillo's describing what has kept him going after having a major stroke. A powerful recovery story. Fishing guide, fly tire, and ultra runner today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. If you've been getting any value out of this show, we would love a review. If you could leave a five-star review, if you've been enjoying this thing, that would be amazing. Uh, you can do that right now in your app uh, of choice that you have. And if you can't find it, you can go also to wetflyswing.com slash love, and that'll give you a couple options uh, to click and leave a review on a few apps. Thanks in advance if you've already left a review. Today's episode is sponsored by Angler's Coffee, roasting a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. They've got a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go, tea bag option, the roast sampler, and uh, and everything else. You've heard it before. Joe is definitely going strong. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers right now. That's A-N-G-L-E-R-S to support a sustainable company with unsurpassed taste. We're also sponsored by Bear Vault, who has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals out of your stuff. Proper food storage is a key to an epic trip in the backcountry. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash bearvault right now to check out this must-see solution. That's Bear Vault, B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to check out Bear Vault. Andrew Grillo shares his story of running a guiding and fly tying business before before getting hit with a massive uh, major stroke. We hear the story of uh, how this happened not long after running an ultra marathon. Andrew seemed to be uh, as healthy as could be, but it's just another reminder uh, that stuff hits us and it's important to... Uh, to hang in there and this story is really inspirational we talk about some of the flies he's tied including the hippie stomper a uh, pretty funny name but a really uh, solid fly he's got a bunch of flies through umqua so we're going to dig into all that and andrew's story so without further ado here he is andrew grilos how's it going andrew hey what's happening pretty good this morning yeah yeah where are you at now yeah, I'm in Bozeman, sitting in my fly tying office, which is kind of a cool little deal. Our house is 90 years old, and we've got nice. this like odd room that's like five feet wide by 20 feet long, and perfect. it's perfect for what I need. Oh, man. I love the old house. That's what's great about the old house is that they have all these cool rooms. Yeah, that's totally right. <laughs> I, don't know like, why, I don't know why they got rid of that, but nowadays it's like they got to come back with the, the weird rooms. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, they didn't consider like fly tying and gear rooms. No, no, exactly. Nice. Well, we're going to dig into, you've got uh, some big name uh, flies out there and some with some yeah. kind of funny names. I want to hear the story. You got one that's called the yeah. hippie stomper. Yeah, so, uh, 
you've got a big background in guiding and things like that. But talk about first, we're going to get into all that, uh, but talk about first how you got into uh, fly fishing, then we'll take it into some of the stuff you've done. Yeah, it was uh, something that my stepdad, he kind of introduced me to when I was probably like 10 years old or so. And he loved the outdoors, like hunting and fishing. And I was actually the one that was like, let's try this fly fishing thing out. And he's like, totally obliged me. Like, that sounds great. Let's go do it. And let's go to like in Denver. It was like Gart Brothers was like the big chain crappy, uh, like sporting goods store. We got like browning fly rods and they were just crap compared to what we have today. And no matter what, it was always enough to just get outdoors and have fun, which that's always been kind of the focus of my fly fishing and guiding. It's just always have an enjoyable time in the outdoors. Yeah, that's it. So 10 years old and you, and you're going oh, strong on, so on. when, when did it come in? When did the guiding uh, like come in as an actual job or, you know, career? Yeah. So guiding came in, got it. So I chose my first undergraduate degree based around big fishing and snowboarding near Gunnison, Colorado. And Western State College was super perfect to kind of like get an introduction from high schooler to adult life. And it's a party school. So I snowboarded a hundred days a year and fished as much in between. And, and I guess like it was an, a natural progression there to just pursue guiding and whatever, uh-huh. like local fly shop in Gunnison back in the day was high mountain drifters. And I was like, this shop is awesome. And I liked the owner guy and he offered me a chance to step in and guide. And I guess like through the decline of that shop, I kind of quickly became the head guide. And for what that's worth, I was like the main guy, like number one on the list. And that was always something that I took seriously back then. Like I got to be available and take every trip that comes my way. And that's kind of how I'm just like, like the golden rule, like treat others how you want to be treated. That's how I quickly built like a large, like repeat following. And I guess by the end of my time in Gunnison, my book, my summers were booked out like 50%, like months and months in advance. Nice. So you focused on that area. No, oh, definitely. That upper Gunnison is a completely different world than the Gunnison Gorge. Right, it's right, like right. A, kind of a, a smaller river and every bucket that looks good's got a couple fish in it. So it's just like kind of like rapid fire float fishing and super fun for clients that are kind of into it. And I guess speaking about my repeat people, as with most guides, I got to meet some pretty cool and interesting people and built up my regulars. And one of my most regular and best fishermen was this older lady from Texas. And I think Marty was probably in her seventies when I was guiding her back in the day. And she had been guided all over the West and she was one of the best anglers I ever fished just through her background of getting guided. Right. Yeah. She'd be like, uh, like rowing the boat. I'd be thinking like that looks good by the bush over there. And that's a nice little bucket over there. It'd be like, like a laser, like her fly would be right where it <laughs> like well in advance. Like, yeah, Marty was like, like super cool old lady with like lipstick on her teeth and she'd bring her oh, up nice. looking lunch and like wearing the big ass, like fish, whatever, like fisherman's eye wear sunglasses. And yeah, yeah, she was so funny and such a good angler. Oh, that's perfect. So you guided out in the Gunnison for quite a while and did you, you eventually moved where'd you go after the Gunnison? After that, I what's the deal? I had an opportunity to guide for Alaska West up on the Connectock river. And that was like a, the pretty badass introduction to guiding space, like swing fishing for Kings up there and giant wow. trout on mites. That's amazing. And then, so you get, so you get Alaska, so you get that in and then you start heading down around, right? You, you you're, where else did you hit? I guided in Southern Chile for a, what was at the time a very well-established lodge, the El Patagon. 
which had been started in the early 90s. And I guess I get it there like 2004, 2005-ish. And that, <clears throat> that poor place was just like empty, empty, like dead. And like they didn't adapt with the times of everything going online and having like a nice website. And they just tried to fill all their seats with like all the Alaska West clients because they had this connection to there. And God, we had capacity for 300 anglers for the whole season down there. When I guided, we had like 27 and it was so ridiculous and planning on getting tipped out by 600 people instead of 27 Jeez. was not, not ideal. And that, that place was like super cool and super dialed in like all yurts. And we had like a gourmet chef and all these like fancy stuff. And nice. Yeah. It was like just a shame that that place at the moment, I think is just like rotting away in the Chilean rainforest. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. There are some, that is a kind of a, like, how does stuff, I always wonder about that. Like, how does that happen? How do these, you know, I mean, I know how shops come and go, right? Because that's a challenging space, but I guess maybe it's similar for these lodges. Like I said, that place refused to adapt to the online shift. Oh, right. They thought they could just be like word of mouth and like uh, some ad in the back of some crappy fly fishing magazine and gotcha. And fill all their seats and yep. they never adapted and they died. That's it. Well, you've, you know, you've been in a, a ton of different places. I'm curious, you got a couple of flies, probably more than a couple, but one of them, um, the, the hippie stomper, I want to hear, before we get into this, I want to hear that, how that fly came to be. Like the name is pretty funny. Uh, and it's uh, kind of a good story on it. So one of my very good friends from guiding in the Gunnison Gorge, if not like a mentor, but kind of close, I learned a lot from him. My good friend, his name is Chris Mortimer. I think at that time he had more experience in the Gunnison Gorge than anyone he was like the go-to guide through the eighties and nineties. And we would always kind of mess with our clients, just kind of a fun way and give them a hard time. And, and so like, we had these kind of like sensitive Southern California clients and Mart was guiding them. And we were like, yeah, you guys get more time on your own down here than you might be used to. Uh, we kind of have to deal with camp stuff and you might be able to walk off on your own and fish a little without us if you want to. And so the sensitive clients were like, oh, what do we do if you're not there to net the fish for us? <laughs> and Mort's like, all right, I just like to drag the fish up into the sand and give it the old hippie stomp and kick it back into the water, just messing with these people. And I had never heard the term hippie stomp. And I thought that was a super funny name for a fly. Yep. I guess kind of like as an homage to my friend Mort. He was a good dude, like uh, grew up in Casper, Wyoming, kind of like, like not an old boy, but like, just like. Yeah, like just like Casper, like a little bit redneck and whatever. And yeah, he totally did, like guiding his clients, like stoned to the bejesus and like a bunch of chew in his teeth and <laughs> pretty hilarious. Oh man, that sounds amazing. That's that's like the perfect mix. You get, I think the perfect mix is the mix between a um, that you know, maybe a little bit of the old school country and then a little bit of the hippie. You know, what I mean, it seems like that's always a, a nice mix because you you can you can see both sides. Oh yeah, and like he'd be super stoned with his teeth full of chew and just like we had all these little inside jokes that would like pass each other on the river and make funny faces at each other and just start laughing and just such a silly place to guide. And, uh, yeah. You, there's no guiding like that anywhere in the world that I've experienced. No kidding. Like it's like our party has the guides and the clients get to come along. Wow. We'd be like cracking beers at like 9am, like cooking <laughs> breakfast and like just having beers all day long. And, it's super ridiculous. Just such a fun, like a st like salmon fly party. 
Wow. So this is the, let, let's dig into that a little bit because this is pretty awesome. And the Gunnison, I don't think we've talked about specifically, but yeah, it sounds like this party. I mean, this is, so this is a, like a Canyon trip. Oh God. Yeah. Like uh typically like a, what is it? Uh, I think a two night or a three night trip. And I think it's like 14 miles of river and kind of spread them out and like make the whatever three or four day trip out of it. Yep. So, yeah. You got to like, drag it out on one day and then just like go faster and kind of hammer spots and fish on the move the other days, which is super ideal. Like during the peak of salmon fly time, get like a lazier day to get the, get the dudes in the groove and then kind of haul ass and hit all the spots where, you know, the big fish are. Wow. So what is that? What's the peak of salmon fly or what was it on the Gunnison? Oh God. Like peak is always like the big, like million dollar question. Yeah. Clients would be like, all right, we want to book the best date next year. Yeah. It's like a, like a total crap shoot. Yeah, you never know. What, what's the what's the range? What would be a good if you say I'm I got a good shot maybe to hit it? What would the range be? Around June twentieth is what we'd always say. Yeah, that's like stock response. Like June twentieth is the best day. See you next. That's right, June twentieth. And actually, June twenty. What is yeah? That's like uh, isn't June twenty second Earth Day right? Or is that my often? I think it might be. That's pretty good. So so June twenty second. So you could be uh, like a month before or after that, or a few weeks before or after that, and still hit it. Yeah, like a few weeks before, it'd be like crazy good nymphing. So this was like before the days of the pets, rubber legs for me, it'd be like a Kaufman stone. And yeah, God, there were some other funny ones back then. And like the big creek, just yeah. whatever. Yeah, like dumb big fly would just have like a ton of fish hooked up on the bobber rig. And it had its little like technical stuff and like in and out, like, oh God, they're eating trichos today or like they're eating these little black midges. And yeah, you just get used to fishing like a, a size six nymph and then drag a little bitty thing behind it, which was never ideal. Oh man. I just always fishing big flies and big tippet. Yeah. Yeah, going big. So that's what you like. You just throw on the biggest, gaudiest stuff and go for it. Yeah, you're right there. That's I would fish like our like salmon dry fly leader would be like uh five feet of maximum of twelve pound. <laughs> Hook a branch yeah. and drag the branch into the river and not lose your fly. Yeah. It was like, uh, those aren't picky and it's not presentation. Like you just smack them out there and the short leader lets you pull on fish harder, which I think is better. Right. Just yank them in and let them go. So why is that, that it's, they're so, it seems like they're not, does it not get as much pressure as some of those other places out there? Uh, I think it's like the fish just kind of like feed with reckless abandon during that hatch. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the hatch. They just go nuts. Oh yeah. I think that's how, like I was saying, we'd have clients get like 80 eats in a day and the fish just are all over it, man. And then the hippie stomper, describe that fly a little bit. What, what was that specifically for? I, uh, I came up with that when I was in Chile guiding and I was like, all right, how can I make kind of like a, a foamy humpy that's huge. And so like I would fish giant dumb flies down there and the hippie stomper was originally tied in like size six or size two or something like really big. And and then when I got back to Colorado, I was like, I could scale this thing down and have a really nice dry fly and like small stream and just like general kind of like your general tractor fly that'll be super durable and buoyant. And that one kind of caught on. I think it's so cool to go into fly shops all over the country and see that fly as kind of a staple. Yeah, that is amazing. I guess that's really caught on in like the Midwest, like upper Midwest or Midwest. My very good friends, uh, Matt and Jerry, that own the Driftless Angler in Wisconsin, I think they're responsible for that fly catching on so much in their area. Yep. They were 
you know, they were like early adopters of the fly and just like went all in. And... Yeah, that's it. And so do you think that fly, I mean, obviously it's a cool fly. It's very effective. Do you think the name was a big reason why it was able to, other than Jerry, obviously doing some work up there. Do you think the name had a big part of that? That's a, like a, flies have to catch fishermen and just like I come up with funny, memorable names and yeah, the name has always been kind of one of my things. Like, I guess kind of not really known for, but maybe just like a little bit like, Oh, he names his flies with funny names. And some of it's like an inside joke and just like something to throw out there where they, like dudes will pick the fly up in the fly bins and be like, Oh, the, what I like the 64 Impala. This is a cool low rider and the El Camino. It's like it's such a, such a dumb car, like the yeah. sedan pickup thing. And <laughs> the, yeah, those are like a cool low rider. Yeah. The El Camino. What are some of your other fly ideas? Could you give us a little, little rundown of some of the, the names? Yeah. I guess like one kind of winner is the heavy metal worm, which unfortunately kind of been discontinued a year or two ago. Uh-huh. How it goes, like if they don't sell enough and it's not worth the investment in producing them over and over. And oh, right. Ever since I was a little kid, I've been into like heavy metal and punk rock and all that stuff. And I was like, heavy metal worm will be perfect and combine a wire worm and a tungsten bead and like a rubber band. And huh. yeah, yeah, it's like super dirty and just gets down and gets them. Right. That's a, you know, like heavy sparse flies will sink quicker than like a big fat pet's rubber legs and just like the resistance dropping in the water column. Yep. Yeah. Like just like a small, super dense fly. Right. Right. Kind of like a Euro nymph or something like that. Right. Or that style. Uh, yeah. Like whatever those things are, like the ones that are all glue. Yep. Oh yeah. No, not even any materials, just glue. <laughs> just glue. Were those some of your top, did, did you have, I'm not sure even on how many, you know, you had, because I know you had some flies right through Umpqua, right? Or is that where most oh, yeah. of your store? Yeah, I think I'm probably around, God, I don't know, like maybe 15 to 20-ish. Oh, wow. I think, for, I think I was over 20 patterns. And I've kind of got this like, not like super aggressive, but a little bit competitive side. And I guess like before the whole Idlewild thing just totally exploded and in a bad way, just like the plane crashed into the mountain for Idlewild flies. Yeah. And it was all very public, was kind of a kind of lame to be a part of. And right. I was really active with contributing to their blog. I guess my last post with that blog, I was like, I got to try to steer this in a positive direction and yep. just not buy into all this drama that's coming out of that. Yep. And I get back in the idle wild days, I was like, who's a badass tire with a bunch of fly patterns. And I want to do more than them one day. And I picked out Brian Sylvie. Oh, nice. <laughs> He's like a super established badass guide and fly tire on the Deschutes in Oregon. And I was like, one day I'll get more commercially produced flies than Sylvie which I actually hit that goal a couple of years ago. And I was like, God, Sylvie's got 15 flies and I have 22. Yeah. Something like that. And that's like kind of a dumb long-term goal that I hit. And yep. That's a good, yeah. I just I like that. Like, you got to have goals. Yeah. That's the key. You got to have goals. Keep going. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, speaking of goals, I look at fly tying and design as a part-time job just because I've kind of built myself up as like Andrew Grillo's the fly tire. Yeah. I get like enough in royalties off of it, but I always look at it kind of like I better invest the time in it and submit new flies every year. Yep. And just like the whole royalties deal is as a friend of mine once said, it's like mailbox money. I just have to make the initial time investment and in tying all the samples. And once they're done and in production, I get my checks quarterly, which is kind of a nice motivation to look at it as a part-time job. And uh-huh. 
yeah, not just submit one crappy fly a year and just expect that to catch on. Right. Yeah. I don't know that space very much because I haven't submitted to Umqua or anybody else, but we've had a few people on that have told the story of um, the story of Umqua. You probably know it is pretty, is pretty oh, yeah, funny. Definitely. It's pretty funny, but we had an episode there where we dug into that, but it, it kind of reminds me of the book public, you know, almost like writing books. Like you hear any good authors and they yeah. say, you know, write your first book, but don't, you better not stop there because you keep yeah. writing. Cause they're going to, you know what I mean? Like you just got to keep writing. It, seems, it sounds like tying's the same way. Yeah, it is. What's kind of interesting is you can't patent a fly. So all somebody has to do is change the thread and I guess the name and like trademark stuff. And then they can just copy, which is super crappy because like the hippie stumper has become such a staple. And then you got brands like Big Y and Catch and all these like mediocre fly brands and even Rio flies just copying hippie stompers and other people's like well-established flies. Oh, right. Just changing them a little bit. Just like change it and... Yeah. change the name on it and call it like, like whatever like the hippie stamper no just way something, something dumb and oh wow yeah. so not even that not even being like trying to hide it just be like we're just gonna just call it just something so everybody kind of yeah. knows <laughs> wow yeah, so like some of the companies like uh catch and oh god like big y and i don't know like these super crappy like discount horrible fly companies don't even change the name and the flies are just garbage that's kind of why i've always been like this is my fly and I stand with Umqua. Like none of you are going to get to copy my shit. Oh, right. Because this the quality just goes down so bad. So is that how, yeah, so that's the Umqua uh, basically. Well, and, I, and we do have that episode, Russ Miller, who's who's on with oh, Umqua, now, uh, Umqua now. He kind of go on a little, a little tangent about Russ. Sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, the first time I ever met Russ was either at like an, like the FFR trade show years and years ago, or maybe it was like ISC, like a, a show up into the public or something. And Russ was helping out in the Nautilus Reels booth. And I tell him this to this day. I remember him as the super sunburnt, like enthusiastic guy. He had been fishing all day and was like beet red sunburn. <laughs> it was like, he sticks out in my memory because he was like really outgoing and friendly and like the most sunburnt guy I had ever seen, just like beet red. And he's like a friend to this day. And That's cool. He's still like, I guess, text and whatever, like main Instagram message yep. quite frequently. Yeah. Russ is awesome. That was a, the funny thing is, like we're saying, the hippie stomper is pretty funny because that whole story, Umqua started with a couple of hippies tying flies and they're like, isn't it like Dennis Black and his brother or something? Yeah. Well, it was Kaufman. It was Randall Kaufman. Kaufman. It was Kaufman and Dennis and they, uh, they sat there and they were like, okay, what are we going to do? Well, the people are running out of flies in the summer. So let's tie a bunch of flies and probably smoke a lot of weed and we'll travel around the country and sell flies when they're out. And, and that's how Umqua started. That sounds like my own personal hell. I hate tying, I hate tying the same fly over and over. I know it's like like I have to submit like a dozen samples for like production so they can see consistently what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, it's like so painful for me to do a dozen of the same fly in a row. So how long does it take you to nail a fly that you do it so it's like it's the same exact every time? Oh uh, God, like I've got to say pre-stroke to be like super consistent. And I believe one of the highest level tires in the industry, maybe that's kind of self like self-centered and douchey to say, but I believe I went from like one of the most technically skilled and highly regarded tires. Then I had a stroke and now my left hand isn't quite perfect. And it's just a, I've had days where I'm like, I've had to watch my YouTube videos to relearn how to tie my signature flies. And it's super sad and frustrating. And I guess to that note, like, 
I'm pretty fine with sharing my experiences out there. And like, I've literally spent hours sitting at my vice, just crying like out of sadness and frustration for God, what did I lose? And I just messed up six hippie stompers in a row. And yeah, it's a, it's been such a horrible, hard road to have a massive stroke at age 37. Like, yeah, like I said, in that little documentary that I sent the link to, like I'm an ultra marathon runner and, I finished running my first hundred miler like three months before my stroke and they were completely unrelated, but it was just like, I'm badass runner guy. And mm. I'm in like a physical like rehab room with like 85 year olds with walkers and catheter bags. It's just so horrible. So that's it. I mean, that's, you went from basically like you're saying, tying these amazing flies to literally trying to, to survive. Oh yeah, for sure. I, uh, man. So my stroke was in November of 2020 and God, like January of 2021, I literally had to learn how to tie my shoes, let alone tie a fly. Wow, 2021. So that wasn't, I mean, really, yeah, I mean, a year and a half ago, you, oh, yeah. uh, you've had this stroke. And then, I mean, it seems like you've actually uh, recovered quite a bit. I mean, you're actually out. I mean, how? what is that? Pro- I mean, obviously, the process has been pretty, pretty crazy. But where are you at now? And, and how long, you know, you have a, a lot of uh, on the recovery end. I feel like I continue to make progress with my left hand and my hand guys that I see, I have to do evaluations and my sensation continuously gets better, which is a big help for tying and the sensitivity of like holding thread and a feather and small stuff. And I believe cognitively I've come around, which was such a challenging part, like early on in my recovery, I've gone from being like, I was always advanced student and then mechanical engineer in the nanotechnology world before my stroke, like always pretty sharp. And wow. Yeah. Then I was like, Oh my God, I'm an idiot now. Thanks to this thing. And it's been such a challenge and I hated my engineering job and Mm. like working for a tech company where I didn't like our customers and I didn't understand what they were doing. They were all like, I was making research equipment for particle physicists. Like these customers were all God, like super smart guys that never left academia and had like no common sense. And it was really difficult to tell them in an email, like what you want is physically impossible to make. And that was a, such a bad fit for me. And I guess like I pursued when I got tired of having to be on with clients and guiding. And I was like, all right, I need to move towards something that provides more stability and benefits like insurance and a decent salary. And so I guess 2014, I drifted out of guiding and started going to classes at North Seattle Community College when I was living out there and just doing prerequisites for this mechanical engineering degree here in Montana. Wow. So you, and then, so where, how'd that fit in with the, take us back on the timeline a little bit. So you, you were guiding in on the Gunnison. How did that fit compared to doing the, the nanotechnology and all that stuff? God, like, uh, I think Colorado was, uh, ended in 2014. Oh wait, oh crap. I'm mixing it up. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I moved to Montana. No, I think I'm right. It was actually 2014 when I moved to Bozeman. And I, I always say 2014 was my last year guiding. Because when I lived in the Northwest, I would guide on the Olympic Peninsula and my favorite river in the whole world, the Skagit up there. And just like swing fishing on the Skagit is so satisfying and fun for me. It's a huge river that doesn't give up its secrets easily. And you can't just go out there and figure it out. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's definitely as famous as the Gunnison. Yeah, You just got to pay your dues on that giant river and figure out every break and bucket and run that holds fish and you get this intimate knowledge of this river that fishes at 20,000 CFS and it's huge. This episode is sponsored by 
Fishhound Expeditions. Fishhound Expeditions provides amazing float trips in remote Alaska. This is mousing for rainbows, camping out under the stars, uh, fishing all day long. This is Alaska. This is amazing, and it's time to do it. And this episode is a good reminder, Andrew's story, just to let us know that life is short and it's it's never a good idea to wait. So if you've been thinking about Alaska, if you want to go up there and do something amazing, check in right now with um, with Adam at Fishhound. He's got some good stuff going. I'm going to be heading up there uh, later this summer, at the end of the summer, so would love to catch you on that trip as well. But Adam has definitely knocked this one out of the park. He's got a whole crew that's going up there. And this isn't like you're skimping, you need a backpack and fit all your stuff in one bag. Plenty of room for beers, drinks, food, um, the comforts, right? The, the total comforts. This is all about just kind of being outdoors and enjoying your time and then fishing and catching a bunch of amazing fish. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash fishhound right now to connect with Adam and this amazing Alaskan experience. That's Fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D, Fishhound. Check them out right now. You support this podcast by clicking over to Fishhound. What's your one, give us, there's a lot of steelheaders that listen to this. What's your one, uh, give us a steelhead tip out there if you're on a big river. How do you, how do you find those fish? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say uh, there's a lot of guys that just think the casting is part of it and just step out knee deep and like riffly water that is just a waste of time. Yep. Just like read the water and imagine what your fly is doing at the end of your line instead of just chucking it out there and thinking that it's swinging across and you're going to catch one. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just casting, it's actually fishing. Yep. So you've got to just not give up and just picture what your fly is doing out there and don't mend it left and right and just make your cast good and hmm. just fish your fly. And yep. Yeah, I think there's lots of water out there that it looks like like suspicious fishy water to a beginning steelheader that's just learning how to spay cast yeah so i had a, a couple of my buddies in the northwest were gear fishermen and they joked and you'd see like a needy riffle they'd be like that's good fly water over there and just like it's fun to cast in right and won't hold fit yeah yeah that's it what, what's your I, I i'm not sure if you tied like steelhead flies what's your one steelhead fly you're putting on there for the for the skagit or any steelhead I guess more like more winter steelhead are the ones that eat the great big intruders and yeah. super sparkly big flies. And yep. I guess like let's say Skagit big river with big aggressive fish, typically something kind of large and sparkly. I just think whatever gets their attention, mm-hmm. just steelhead crush spoons. And so the gear fishermen guys that throw spoons out there, they get them. Yeah. I just think a big sparkly fly. That's it. And uh, you know, like a big profile that's, there's this challenge in fly tying for a steelhead that I think is so good that a lot of guys miss. They just tie these stupid big flies that are like a puff of marabou. And that's like my heavy metal worm, like a less bulky fly will drop in the water column more quickly. So just like creating the illusion of bulk and the fly is super good. Like something that'll cast well and, and like swim well and look kind of big in the water. Yeah. Which is why like a sparse marabou fly will puff out and just swim big and look large in the water and still cast small that's it that's it yeah that's exactly it and and no this is this is cool because we're digging into this and you've got so many you've been all around the world you know we've got steelhead now and we've got the gunnison we've got the fly patterns and um you know what's your other when you think back of your guiding time what's the other place that sticks out i was like wow that's the place i loved i mean uh 
like speaking of like fishing and guiding where I just went and fun fished was a uh, New Zealand for six months. My wife and I bought a camper and drove it around and lived in it. And Oh, wow. Like it was so hyper-focused on fishing and my wife wanted to settle in and find some mediocre job and just kind of live. And I was like so obsessed with fishing and we like, we've always had like conflict in and out of our relationship, like any relationship. And I believe we were on like the upper Mohawka river in this beautiful spot where people made helicopter too. And we were like having a fight and like yelling at each other in the river. Like we were fishing too much and I didn't care about getting some dumb job. And yeah, I just wanted to like fish, fish, fish. And it's like, so like so easy to get obsessed down there because it's a super visual game. Yeah. You just like, you see stuff like, Oh, is that a log over there? And the log swims away. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh my God. That's New Zealand. So, so New Zealand, the one thing compared to, for those who haven't been there, how is it different than like everything else we're talking about here than what's in the U.S.? There's certain rivers where you can actually just like blind an imp like you might and you can get big fish. And uh, yeah, the big thing is it's like hunting. You just walk and walk and walk up these rivers looking at crystal clear water. And like I said, you're like, oh God, is that a log? And like you cast over the log and it comes up and eats your fly. Oh man. Like even like the tiniest stream can have huge fish. Right. Yeah. Which was like a super cool experience we had on this little bitty Creek there. Like, uh, God, it was like four feet across and we just walked up it and there's one pool. that's maybe the size of like a hot tub. And there's probably like a God, that fish was probably like a 26 inch Brown just hanging out and just doing its thing. Like in the current feeding, I'm like, all right, this is like no bobber and no dry fly fish. Just like, throw like an unweighted no bead pheasant tail up there and watch the fish come right over and eat it Mm. just like so visual it's just so easy to get super obsessed there's like honestly it's like steelhead fishing there's this big emotional investment in it it's like the most crushing defeat if you hike six miles and then you blow it and scare the fish and oh right right like this roller coaster and you guys did this just recently oh god that was like 2009 oh okay no yeah this is a while back got you 2009 yeah, yeah. So yeah. you guys are still. Uh, I, I love the story. You know the 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 kind of your wife and getting advice because everybody. You know, you don't. Sometimes you you might re- you, that happens to everybody. But I know that you know going back to your stroke, right? I've heard some of that, right? That that was a big part of you getting through. Can you talk about that a little bit? It was so horrible and so scary. Like uh, I was laying on the floor in my house, and wife calls nine one one, and ambulance ride to the hospital here in Bozeman, and flight for life to Salt Lake city because their university of Utah hospital is like the nearest to like whatever it is, like class one or class five, like brain trauma center. And mm. Bozeman is not equipped for anything like that. They like flight for life people to Utah. And it was like emergency brain surgery and saved my life. And just like I spent a month ish in a rehab hospital mm. and it was like, like groundhog day, like the worst day of my life playing on repeat and, like learning how to walk and swallow and slightly talk and God, just everything. And like the therapist there, like we worked on tying my shoes, which took me like until January, like God months later, which was so painful. Like I can't even tie my freaking shoes and how do I tie a fly? And I would just like daydream in my hospital bed about tying hippie stomper. And like, what do I do to tie worms? And just like the super basics and yeah. And, I guess that's a big thing that's kind of been cool to, I guess, express here. My, uh, I've seen a, like a talk therapy counselor ever since the stroke and she's been a huge help, just like problem solving life and emotions and 
she was the one that helped me get back to flying like fly tying and I was like, this is so important to me. I'm doing it such a mediocre level now, thanks to the stroke. And this was like early on. She was like, just break it down. And why don't you start at the basics? And I guess through like basics and obsession, I've rebuilt like over two decades of fly tying. And uh, God, I got a super obsessed and I tied like hundreds of San Juan worms. And mm-hmm. that all just kind of retaught me like thread and material control. And I guess more recently, Sorry, I guess like probably nine months to a year-ish ago, like my favorite tying is like steelhead hair wings, just like kind of like dry line, summer red flies. Yeah. Just like less is more. Like the steelhead coachman might be my favorite fly to tie ever. Yeah. I think a a perfectly executed coachman is such a pretty and fun fly to tie. That's it. And uh, I got super obsessed and tied like dozens of those. And God, I think this is so cool. I put them up for auction for like native fish society and 10 of my steelhead hair wings raised a thousand bucks for that nonprofit or whatever that conservation. Group. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was super cool. Like that was the value on my post stroke flies. And the guy that bought them is some guy in Idaho. And uh, he's messaged me on Instagram and he was like, these are so awesome. These are going to have like the best fish karma ever. And they were all post stroke ties and just like me working so hard to get my, get my crap together. And, god like uh and just like one after the other and i guess for my one year stroke trip to go steelhead fish in eastern washington i filled a large plano box with hair wings and just let all of my friends that were there pick and choose and it meant so much to me to get all that practice in and just tell my best friends like you guys like pick and choose what you think will work for you and that was so cool wow yeah, that is amazing. You're hitting hitting it with me too because I love the old school fly, yeah. harrowing flies. Yeah, they're so fun to tie and just do them really clean, like little pinhead and exactly sparse. tail to curve right and yeah, less is more. Yep. So it looks like the little when you get that thing in the water bed, it's just a little little tiny noodle, a little thin noodle. Yeah, it's just so wild. Like that little fly, like swinging across a run nice and quickly, will just get crushed by a fish. They're just so in tune with the world around them and they see that little green button off they go and they are like the white wing. I don't know what they see, but yeah. I believe it's like a, a presentation over pattern thing. Oh, right. And who was the steelhead coach? Do you, do you know? I can't remember who invented that one. Oh God. I don't know. That's gotta be like an old one. I'm thinking like yeah. seven. So. I can't remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a newer, cooler version with some crystal flash in it that I think John Hazel on the Deschutes may have kind of come up with and like modified the old fly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's the backstory on the more modern one. Yep, that's right. I'll, I'll try to do a little research and in the show notes put in the uh, some of the, uh, the 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 inventor of that one, and, and as well oh, as yeah. your flies. We're going to put a bunch of beautiful pictures of your stuff on on. Oh, that'd be uh, super cool! Yeah. And like, feel free to like just like snag any of the pictures off my website and totally. I think Umqua's pictures are good, and maybe just give them a shout out, like a image taken from Umqua flies or something. Yeah. And, yeah, we they were totally cool. They were cool with me snagging pictures off their website for my website. Like I've got that great big hippie stomper photo when you first opened my website up and yep. that's an Umqua photo that they gave me permission to reuse. Gotcha. That's perfect. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get some good patterns there. And so that's oh, cool. Yeah. So you have, yeah, the steelhead obviously is a big passion. You're on the river, which is amazing. So after your stroke, you're on there and oh, you yeah. actually got a fish, oh, right? Yeah. You hooked into a fish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was one for two on my one-year stroke anniversary day, which means I landed one and uh, 
I got grabbed by another one. It like ripped line off my reel and I got the other one and just fought it in real quick. Like I like to just be really aggressive with fish and get them in quick and let them go on their way. Wow. Yeah. That was like uh, every, it's all muscle memory for me. And I love fishing longer rods and a little bit longer lines, not like the super crazy, like long line stuff, but I've got this, like, uh, like I said, like Jim Barchi is a buddy of mine at Scott fly rods and mm-hmm. he over, he oversaw custom building a spay rod to my specifications, which was slightly longer and lighter, which is kind of like my go-to like summer steelhead rod. And so on my one year post stroke trip, I was like still making like, just like crushing snake rolls and also like the single spay, which might be the most difficult spay cast to perfect. And I, I didn't lose any of that. No kidding. So that all came back. You got out there and you're like, boom, yeah, that all came back. And, and I guess like, I was like not shaky, shaky when I was waiting, but from running my hundred miler, my left foot's been numb for over a year. I think I did some nerve damage for that guy and like kind of crappy proprioception in my left foot from the nerve damage and god that set in at like mile 95 or so i was like running along like oh my foot's numb and whatever it comes with the territory and nothing to worry about oh wow i just don't think i can wait as strongly as i used to thanks to having one numb foot so the numb foot so that came during the ultra run which was just before the stroke yeah yeah it was like uh god like a month-ish before the stroke and i think the stroke may have disconnected some damaged nerves right right and you guys know, and not to dig too far into this, but I was just kind of curious oh, about yeah. it, but was the stroke just a, you know, like I, at 37 seems like, like you said, like that's pretty young. How, how does that happen? God, like whatever, like a freak incident, like I got struck by lightning kind of thing. And that's what it is. It's not like you were, you had, you were doing some life things that were affecting. That's the brain clock. Yeah. Like, yeah, God, like, uh, I was always really healthy yeah. and kind of ate like vegetarian and plant-based leading up right. to it. And, yeah, like training for the ultra yeah, you were the healthiest person probably one of the, probably the most healthy person out there yeah like uh, yeah god i think uh there's i think 75 percent of the population has the same small hole in their heart as i did which is called a pfo i guess when you're like an infant like your heart is kind of in like a left and a right and it fuses together and i guess there was some part in my development as a, a baby that mine didn't totally fuse which is very common in the population and Although there's no complete explanation to my stroke, just that with my, at that point, my very low blood pressure and my super low resting heart rate may have allowed a blood clot to form in that little hole, which uh, the brain surgeon said that was a massive clot and it took them eight tries to get it out of my brain and just so crazy and go from like top of the world. Like I'm Mr. Fitness King and I'm having a blood clot stroke and that's like what old people have. Mm-hmm. And no, like a, no aneurysm, like hemorrhagic stroke that's like blood pressure related and like a vein in your brain just pops and mine was just like a clog. Wow. And and they unclogged it, which is, I mean, it shows you a tribute to the healthcare providers. Oh yeah. I guess like on that note, so I had that little video that yeah. I think I sent you. Yeah, a we'll link put a link. Is I've, it okay if we put a link in the show notes to that I'll one? Like, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. I've been super public about sharing that with everybody that knows me because I think it's a great little documentary about myself and what happened with the stroke. And oh God. So when that thing debuted at the Rocky Mountain Stroke Conference a couple weeks ago here in Bozeman, and so the keynote speaker for this whole conference full of neurosurgeons and neurologists, 
was the brain surgeon that saved my life. And oh, wow. It was super cool. Like I got to go give him a big hug and tell him thank you and take a selfie with him. And yeah, he's like this super highly regarded brain surgeon. That's the guy that saved my life. It meant so much to go give him a hug. And I was totally crying when I took wow. a selfie with him. It just meant the world to me. Yeah, that's, and that's just brings goosebumps to your body, man. That's like, I mean, oh yeah. Imagine what that feels like for that guy, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think like, yeah, like I've kind of stayed in touch with uh, the PT at the University of Utah that taught me to walk, and just like I really want to validate these healthcare providers, like hard work and experience, and just let them know that I'm not some ninety year old that's just going to go off and die in assisted living right. and. I can still go out and like trail run and tie flies. And God, like yesterday, uh, one of my best friends, Nick English here in Bozeman, he's another big ultra runner and he's been in fly fishing forever. And every year we kind of do this deal where we run into bear trap Canyon on the Madison river and fish like five or six miles into the Canyon. So yesterday, I guess we did like a three and a half mile run in and uh, fished a few hours and ran out. And that's kind of like our super fun multi-sport deal. And, I just love being able to tell that PT that taught me to walk. Like I can trail run and fish and do all these things that most oh of your God. patients never do. Wow. So you're doing it. I mean, you're literally, you're trail running again, which is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What has been, you know, I mean, for you, Andrew, what, what's been the thing out of all this stuff? Like, cause I can imagine that some people would be thinking like, wow, how do you keep going? But you've not only kept going, oh, yeah. how, what's kept you going? Yeah. Like, uh, just to get back to being normal and, I was, uh, I guess before the stroke, my fly tying and presenting were at a point where I was getting travel covered and getting some money out of the deal just to go to fly shops and present and tie. And it was a super nice deal to just be like, all right, I want to fish in your area. Will you fly me out and take me fishing and give me a little cash for the effort and that kind of deal. And yep. It was super cool. And I guess one of the first people to pay for all that stuff was my good friends at Driftless Angler, that Matt and Jerry in Wisconsin there. Yep. They were like, we'd love to fly you out and do like a, a presentation and meet a bunch of our customers that love your flies. And that was such a cool deal. That was maybe my most well-attended presentation. We did that like this super funny dive bar that was on one of their many spring creeks. And uh I bet I had like 50 people come out to this dive bar just to watch me drink Budweiser's and present. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was like so funny. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the dive bars are money. That's uh, <laughs> That would be funny to be there. Well, yeah, well, this has been, I mean, obviously this story is is uh, unbelievable. You know, I mean, this is, I, I know I heard about it. Actually, when I heard about it the first time, it was... Um, we did a uh, we did an episode. I'm trying to think of the episode number here. Let's see if I have it. Uh, yeah, 206. Lewis Cahill, who I know is a good okay, a, yeah. good buddy. You know, a good great guy. And yeah, Lewis and I have been buddies since I guided him in Alaska in 2010. Yep. I was just kind of like this guy is cool and he's like a no bull guy and just like loves fly fishing and has created this blog that reaches out to tens of thousands of people and. I think his effort has like paid off and his experiences in life are super cool and interesting to talk about. And I think he's like the most interesting man in the world. Like that Jose yeah. guy. That's right. Yeah, like uh, Lewis, like a professional photographer and like for like newspapers or like something cooler than that. And God, I think like he was photographing for like the circus, like Barnum and <laughs> Bailey or like Reynolds or some crap like that. And he told me that 
he was photographing these like chimpanzees and they're like full grown, like adult chimpanzees are like super strong oh, and just right. like total assholes. And yeah, he said that he almost got killed by two chimpanzees. Like he's like, I'm a big dude. Like he's like, what is he like? Six foot six and like yeah. mid to high two hundreds or something. I bet he's got to be like six, four and two fifty or something like that. And he said those chimpanzees threw him around like a rag doll. I know. Yeah. He told that story on, on episode 206 and it was like, damn. He's like, and since the last kind of kept in touch. And when I was living in Seattle, I remember he was having some kind of like semi cancer scare or something and talking to him being like, man, I hope you're good. It's gotta be so scary. And just trying to be empathetic and understanding. Yeah. And not like dismiss it. Like you'll, you'll be this. Yep. I think one of the worst things you can do to somebody that having hard times is be like, Oh, thoughts and prayers. And it's just stuff like yeah. that. I think it's like not just being empathetic and listening is super key as I've discovered through this horrible medical crisis. Right. Just having people like that you can relate to. So the best thing for you and probably other people listening, cause we're all going to have things that are going to come up obviously, but is that, that the empathy where you can actually be there and be like, Hey, you know, I feel you just hear them out yeah yeah definitely just talk through and god so i've i guess like at age almost 40 it's kind of crazy to like connect with somebody and be like you're going to be my new best friend and I've, like my new best friend is this guy in utah his name is jake smith he's like a i think a badass guide in the salt lake city area and some cool places in wyoming we've texted quite a bit about his struggles growing up with losing both of his parents to cancer and how he's had to just go through these horrible life experiences from a pretty young age and just having somebody that understands empathy and listening is so big for someone going through a tough time. Yep. That's it. I guess that, that's my big life lesson to share with everybody out there. I was going to say, that was one question I wanted to ask you. What is your big out of all this that you've been through? It's that, oh, yeah. that is it. The empathetic, just be there for somebody. Empathy. And uh, I think just like listening to people and, just like hearing them out and not, not just looking at silver linings, which are always kind of a crappy way to look at things when you're struggling. Yep. That's it. No, we had the, the conversation about life, you know, life and death, you know what I mean? That's come up a few times on this because it's such a, um, it's such a, uh, it's a crazy, right. And it's easy to, I don't know. Sometimes I even find myself blocking out things because like there's stuff going on right in the world. And we had the conversation about like nuclear war and, and the, and politics and all right. All this stuff, it's easy to get, you know, but, um, to get down on some of this, but it's just life. We're all going to die. So right eventually it's just a matter of time so i don't know you know what what's the, what's your take out message when you think about life and death oh god i mean i think like i've built my place in the fly fishing world through treating others as i want to be treated and being genuine and honest so i think just be respectful to others and try to like be understanding of the challenges that they might face yep that's it yeah and that's uh I just, I guess like my deepest uh, core value is respect gets respect. Yep. Which is like, uh, God. So after my stroke, we had this GoFundMe that raised a ton of money to help like with lost income and crazy medical bills. And people were coming out of the works from the fly shop that I worked at in Seattle. Like, Oh God, Andrew was such an enjoyable person to bulk with. And they would contribute some pretty impressive stuff. And we had this auction people donating flies and just whatever they could. And Oh God, like, uh, yeah, you know, like people were really coming out of the woodwork to help out. And like I said, Jim Barchi at Scott is a friend of mine. 
I think for that auction, he put up one of their brand new rods. The I forget what the oh the centric. I think yeah, he put one of those things up for the auction, and just like that, respect gets respect and go really far. Yeah, which I've actually tried to message like younger fly fishermen, like uh, like uh, this is my lesson. Like respect gets respect. Be cool to other river users, whether they're other guides or just dudes on the yeah. bank. Oh yeah. I know. That's kind of like ignited like a little friendship with this kind of funny kid here in Bozeman. He, he's kind of like a little bit gangster and like grew up in the Chicago <laughs> suburbs and yeah, totally funny dude. Yeah. And he loves fly fishing and hunting and snowboarding and whatever. He's just a funny dude. And he sent me one of the more meaningful texts in my recovery, I guess, Instagram message. And, and then I just replied like, hell yeah, bro. That's like, that's so cool. And I really respect you for going out of your way to send me that nice message and respect gets respect. You got nothing from me, but respect right. and whatever. That's it. He's like, like Ryan and yep. he's like this cool kid. And he, uh, he sent me this message years ago on Insta, like, uh, like, Hey bro, I know you're a driftless guy. And I kind of fished there a lot. I'd love to take you night fishing. I got the hot like mouse spot and just like, kind of like, like little gangster kind of like edge on it. And yeah. And then I, I wanted to think of a funny reply to him. And I was like, uh, Hey bro, I only night fish with pre-band four locos. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just, uh, goofing around with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You got to have some fun along the way. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, well let's, uh, let's take it back to, I want to get back into the Gunnison because I, I we talked about that at the start and maybe we can kind of, oh, yeah. kind of wrap it up with yeah. a little bit of, uh, yeah. Let's yeah. That otherwise I'll just go on and on about my stroke because no, that's been my, I, I think the the stroke high. is I mean I could sit here and talk all day about that and that's what's uh, I mean obviously I think what we talked about today is hopefully giving some people a little bit of insight because we're, like we said we're all going to deal with it I mean you know my dad he's okay. a, he's an older guy you know he's but he's struggling right he's struggling now so it's like you know no matter if it happens to you earlier or later I mean for me I always looked at I didn't really have much ever happen to me you know what I mean so I think that's been impact in my life maybe even in a negative way because like you said i've never felt any of these struggles at least oh yeah that's uh, like i was saying my friend jake in utah he uh he saw his father and his mom die from like the slow agonizing cancer related death and yeah. really that's kind of given him more insight as to people have times and you know like it happens and don't just like i guess like negate what's happening with some dumb like thoughts and prayers kind of shit and Today's episode is sponsored by Tokens Fly Shop, providing superior quality products at an affordable price. They've got the good stuff going. Justin and the family has you covered when looking for unique in-house products, as well as some of the best brand names. They got it all covered. And recently, they've added uh, rods and lines and reels, and they're up in their game this year. So if you want to get the goods, not just the fly time materials, but get all the gear you need, one stop Togans has you covered. I recently made a uh, another order with Togans, and uh, and it was it's always amazing how fast this stuff comes down. They're up across the border in Canada, but they've got their infrastructure in the U.S. as well. So this is a real easy one to put together. If you want to support a great fly shop and support this podcast, you got to check out Togans right now. You can head over to wetflyswing.com/togans. That's T-O-G-E-N-S. They have a diverse selection of products, uh, like I said, and just click over there and take a look right now. That would be amazing, and I would appreciate it. Support this podcast in a great fly shop. Togans, T-O-G-E-N-S. Okay, back to the show. 
I wanted to go back to that just because the the Gunnison you started mentioning some. Yeah, definitely. So talk about that. We have this little segment, an older segment called the, the 222. I, oh, yeah. I think it's perfect here, but it's kind of like top two tips, flies, and resources. Um, but uh, the Gunnison, so you fished it a lot. What is, if you're on the river, and we're actually pretty close, it's early June, so probably the salmon fly hatch yeah. might be coming up here pretty quick. What would be, if somebody's getting ready for that trip, what are you telling your clients? Yeah, for sure, like mid to late June, like third week-ish, like the 20th, 22nd, pretty safe time to try to get down there. Yep. Like, don't hold me to that for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like water dependent and yeah, and there's all kinds of crazy theories that people have like moon phase and just dumb stuff. And I'm like, either the water is right and the bugs will hatch and the fish will eat them. I don't care that it's a full moon. I think that's ridiculous. That's like, oh, uh, you know, Jupiter and Mercury are lined up properly. That's right. You're going to kick them off just <laughs> stupid. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mercury uh, retrograde. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like Mercury is in retrograde. All the big fish are going to be feeding on the surface. <laughs> exactly. Just like everybody's got these stupid theories that I think are like not stupid, stupid, but totally not based in reality. And I think if there's a fish there and it's ready to eat, it's going to eat. Yep. That's it. So when you're getting ready for the trip or your clients were getting ready, what flies okay. would you have tell them to have in their box for that trip? Like big foam dry flies and even like old schooly stuff like the sofa pillow and huge stimulators and nothing like no salmon fly dry has to be like a hundred percent accurate. And yeah, the fish are so keyed in on a bug in that size two to six range. Yeah. I'm just like something that floats and you can see and the fish can see. Would you drop a uh, dropper off of the back end of the dry? Oh yeah. Sorry for like salmon fly hatch. Those guys are more keyed in on great big dries. I think tying on a dropper is just asking for crap to get tangled up for like yeah old client guy. Yep, just yeah. stay dry. If they're if they're on the dry, stay dry. And then when would they, if they weren't on the dries, what would you be going to? Oh yeah, for sure. Like like bobber rig, like uh, probably like something big and heavy. I guess these days, like a big pats or something, and kind of like standard like Colorado like second dropper fly, probably like a little copper john or pheasant tail. Yeah, nothing to it. Like extremo technical. Yep. Yeah. Oh God. Like another Colorado thing that we can't even do here in Montana is like the three fly rig, like, like the old, like hopper, copper dropper yeah. thing, <laughs> super silly, like nineties deal or like early two thousands. Like, uh, yeah. So, uh, the standard Colorado three fly, like a big buoyant dry fly. And then like, a a medium heavy fly dragging something small down. Yep. So you wouldn't do the, the three fly a tandem much. Uh, yeah, like, uh, that'd be like a little bit earlier season or later, like, let's say like, like May and even into like July as things get later and the salmon flies kind of taper off. That's it. And so when you're fishing out there for these at the salmon fly hatch, uh, any, any tips, you want to give us a couple more tips there? Like what, what is, you know, is it, it sounds like you just cast them out there and the fish are going nuts, but any other little words of advice you give your clients? Yeah, like like any wade fisherman is gonna like wade up there and throw it out into the current as far as they can like don't be afraid to like wade out knee deep and just fish it towards the bank and work your way up and yeah and just like wade out as far as you're comfortable and then fish it back towards the bank right because yeah, those bugs like crawl out in the grass and emerge and typically fall in on all those grassy banks and like stuff that's like within reason to wade mm -hmm. just kind of just get out there a little ways and fish it back towards the bank yep that's it. Were you guys in, so you're doing the river trip. Was it when you do these, was it just you setting up camp and doing everything for these trips? Yeah. Sometimes we would do like one boat trips, which were kind of a pain, like a lot higher workload, yeah. like one boat, one guide. Right. You're doing camp and guiding and your two anglers. 
cooking and doing dishes and setting up tents oh, and all the whole deal. It was like a pretty high workload, which was super fun. And you just get in the zone and June is like a groundhog day of guiding down there. Yeah. Just get off the river, yeah, like get that. back on it. Get off and get back on the treadmill. Yeah. God, not, to like, not to brag or talk myself up, but I think I set the company record one year for doing 28 days in a row during June. Oh, wow. 28 days. So literally you get off. So you put in what, like yeah, on a, say a Friday or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. God, you like launch, like launch on a Friday and take out on the next Friday or Thursday and just like take a shower and sort out your tip money and get back on the river and off you go. Off you go. But don't even have time to check your uh, cell phone messages. Just keep going. Oh, yeah. That was like, a, God, that was like back when I had a Motorola Razor. Oh, nice. Well the Razor. The Razor. Yeah. That was a great phone. And that was before we all texted. So I just check all my voicemails and make a bunch of phone calls and get off the river and catch up on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Wow. What's that Canyon like the Gunnison Canyon? So you are, you, I'm picturing a deep Canyon. What, what, what's it like in there? It's beautiful. Like it's kind of split like the second 14 miles. What we used to guide is the Gunnison Gorge and like upstream is like, I think 14 miles of the black Canyon national park, which is like brutal and difficult to get in and out of and super steep and narrow and really deep. And the Gunny Gorge, like downstream is a little bit more mellow and, it's like there's a few trails to hike in that are kind of steep and God, if it rains, it's like the most slippery mud and it's a little more rugged upstream in the national park. Mm. I guess like one of those things, like you got to pay to play and the difficult access up there can mean really good fishing. That's it. And you guys were running just, uh, were you running drift boats or rafts? Uh, just rafts. Cause all our gear, all our gear had to go into the Canyon on horseback. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, like this old school outfitter guy, like Larry something, he was super cool. And he had like a, a string of mules and horses that he knew how to load them up with all our gear and send them down the trail. And Holy cow. Those animals are so crazy at the bottom of the trail. Just like slap them on the ass and send them on their way. Oh, really? And you'd have like a, like a dozen horses just running up the canyon because they know where the barn is. Oh, amazing. Super cool. So this is, uh, yeah, this is the real deal. You're not even back in your boat and you guys are muling it down. Oh, yeah, for sure. Wow, this is amazing. And like off, off the meals go, and we're just like pumping our boats up and drinking our first Tecate of the day. That's right. And, uh, like lining out our clients and telling them to stomp on their fish and kick it into the river. Was that your rule? Did you have the 10 a.m. rule where you couldn't drink before uh, 10 a.m.? Uh, no, not. It'd be like uh, there was no rule like that. <laughs> like, like no rules, like no regulations. Yeah. Like, God, like, uh, yeah, the main rule, like, is the, the guide code down there is like, don't f your buddy and uh yeah in a sense like don't don't row downstream and fish all the good spots and don't be late to lunch and don't be late to camp and that's like uh don't make the life difficult of your other the coworkers and your friends that you're down there guiding with right yep at the worst like the cool guy superstar guide that's going to hang back and hook all the fish and be late for lunch and let's say he's got all the sandwich supplies oh. and he's and super guide and we're all waiting for our sandwich stuff Damn. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's interesting. Well, we had, uh, actually by the time this goes live, we've got, um, uh, Henry Winkler, um, is, you remember Henry Winkler from, uh, the happy days, 
the font. Oh yeah, he wrote a book about fly fishing, and I, I guess I've seen that in a couple of fly shops. Exactly. And I don't have a. We had him on a recent episode, and it was uh, it was pretty funny because he talked about his guiding down in, in Idaho, and he said the one thing he hates is stopping for lunch. He was like, I don't, I love fishing so much, I don't want to stop for lunch, and he was like, it kind of pisses me off when the guides make us eat lunch. It was kind of funny. So <laughs> I guess everybody's a little different. Oh yeah, we would like the gorge was super funny, like not like to be deliberately lazy and ass. we would uh, kind of tell our clients down there, like, all right, guys, fishing kind of slows down in the heat of the day. The best thing to do at like two o'clock or so is like, go find a piece of shade and a cold beer and just lay down and take a little nap. And yep. that'll help reach That'll recharge you for tomorrow. And all right. Just give yourself like a little nap break. And like, what guide trip do you take nap breaks on? Oh man. It's kind of really like, we all had like our little secret guide spots to go sneak off and nap in like the sand and just stuff like that. That's and perfect. It was just such a, such a unique fun deal. Like where do you pay $10,000 to get guided and you're getting told to take a nap and your guides are all sneaking off to drink beer and smoke weed in the shade. <laughs> do you look at that as something that you would like to, you know, if you could uh, on the recovery trail, get back to doing stuff like that, the guiding. Uh, I kind of feel like that's sort of behind me now. And yeah. I've always said, like, at least I have Alaskan guiding to fall back on because a trained monkey could be an Alaskan guide. But yeah, I uh, now that it's been like I've been super public with my struggles and rebuilding my life and dexterity and like I can barely tie a blood knot now. I was like, God, if I can barely tie a blood knot, I can't be an Alaskan guide. Right, right. And so that's kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. So that's not one of your goals that, there. But the, the flight tying still is right. It sounds like that's still a big yeah, goal like, for you. Yeah, I want to resume getting like a few flies produced a year. And God, like, I think early on this year, I submitted my first two flies for hopefully production. I guess that was the first post stroke submissions, which I guess was super cool. Like I've got this cool soft tackle that came out of my obsession with tying dozens and dozens of soft tackles. And then uh, Mm -hmm. I guess my other thing that I've recently submitted and that's been denied for years and years because it's so off the wall is my pizza fly if you like god like if you look at me on instagram and just search like my own personal hashtag is feeding trout pizza since 2005 mm. mm-hmm. in chile i started like the fish would eat anything down there so i did like foam arts and crafts and i would cut and glue a little foam pizza slice and my i'd have dudes like they'd come halfway around the world to go trout fishing and they'd be like what are the secret flies what are they eating down here what's the hatch? And I'm like, well, we like to fish pizzas and hot dogs. <laughs> I just had all these dumb little arts and crafts flies. And there's guys that flown halfway around the world for this world-class trout fishing. And their guide ties on like a little foam pizza slice and they'd catch the biggest trout of their life on a little pizza. Really? So you'd fish the pizza. Uh, yeah. Cause the fish only sees the underside of the fly. So the pizza is like the indicator just riding on the top. Yeah. It's like uh my arts and crafts for the, the base for that fly is just like an old school Chernobyl ant. And I just do my arts and crafts and glue the pizza to it. Yep. And so the fish see this like buggy thing floating down. Man, the pizza. So What's the hot dog? It. What's the hot dog? Yeah, the hot dog is kind of similar. It's like a like a little tan, like a bun body, and then like a little red hot dog that's kind of tied along the top of it. Wow. Yeah. It's like so stupid and it's like fun for me and maybe silly for my anglers. Yeah. It was so fun to tell them like you're gonna fish a pizza and a hot dog like you just flew halfway around the world for this world class trout fishing and I'm gonna tie on a pizza slice and you're gonna catch 24 inch brown trout. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, it's just 
it's so silly to like not take fly fishing all seriously. Yep. That seems like that's the secret. I, it, it's not a, I think people that get too intense on it, it just seems like that's not what it's about. Those guys aren't having fun and like neither are their clients. Their clients are just getting worked. And yeah, like I flew halfway around the world and paid all this money and I'm just exhausted and unhappy. And yep. I like my dudes to be laughing and having a good time. That's the the pizza and the hot dog. And yeah, that's all my silly experiments like that. That's perfect. That's the perfect way to start it off. Start it off with that sort of a touch. Oh yeah sets the tone well we're going to take it out here pretty quick andrew but uh, i'm interested in the the ultra just for a, a second maybe we can go down this line the you know i did i always joke about it but i did like a half marathon trail i got into it for a little while and i was loving the trail running and i kind of haven't been doing it as much lately but what is that like when you do like what are you out there for 100 miles how, how do you keep going on that and what are you thinking about i think it's just like uh like fortitude and just like the commitment to the goal yeah which is like, I will not fail this. And I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and cross that finish line in a respectable time, which I think for me was like 32 hours or something. 32 hours. So how do you do that in a 32 hour? How do you, so are you going like, how does it work with food and sleep? Oh uh, yeah. Like no sleep. And you just fuel along the way and figure out like a big part of training for these super long runs is what can your body handle for fuel? Like it's a, that's a big part. Like some dudes will like barf a bunch during these runs and spend a whole bunch of time like crapping in the bushes. And so you just got to get your digestion dialed. Oh my and gosh. That's the trick to go on that long. What was your, did you have a diverse menu? Uh, no, I mean, whatever works. So it's like, like uh, there's these burritos that they sell at Costco that we call running burritos. They've been like so good on my stomach. It's they're like the white box. It's like Lily B's burritos. Oh, yeah. I just, yeah, the white box. Yeah, the white box. They're like bean and cheese and rice. Oh, yeah. Something. Those are money. Those are money. It's, it's the right mix for running 100 miles. Oh, my gosh. So you just have a have like four of those in your backpack? Yeah, like uh, two of them in my little vest, like like becoming like need like uh, God, like a uh, tepid temperature instead of like frozen or hot. And like a big part of these events is your crew. And so like my crew was crucial. It was like uh, two of my best ultra running friends and my wife and just uh they meet you at all the aid stations along the way. And like, what are you doing? Or how do you, like, what do you need? How are you doing kind of thing? And I had uh, got at mile 55 of my hundred miler. I had battled like mega leg cramps for 20, or like, uh, like 30 miles. I just had to like hike at a painful slow rate with my legs cramping. And oh my God, like for 30 miles that was over. And I hit aid station at mile 55 and they're all like, what's wrong. And I'm like, my legs are cramping. And, and so I like laid down on a blanket and my wife had like one of those little, like it's called the stick. It's like a little leg massager thing. You just like roll it kind of aggressively on your legs and she rolled them out and I got all the nutrients that I needed and a little rest. And off I went for 30 more miles of, or I guess like 70 more miles of running and like battling the Idaho mountains during a hot smoky day. Oh man. Yeah. It was like, yeah, pretty insane, like 80 degrees out and super smoky from some big forest fire out there. Oh my gosh, yep. And you're just going, you're just sitting there one foot after the other, just just going, yeah, 40, exactly. 45 miles left. Yeah, or yeah, whatever, 55 to 100, so yeah. That's it, and and you and you made it. I mean, that 100 miles, you made it. What is it, when you cross the 100 mile that you finish line, what, what does that feel like? Oh, uh, 
my wife ran the last 10 miles with me. And so uh, we just ran it in like holding hands crossing that finish line. That honestly might've been one of the highest points of my life. Like all of my guiding experiences and cool fish I've caught, like literally crossing the finish line from running a hundred miles, like hand in hand with my wife was one of the high points of my whole life. Just because it took a year of hard training to get to that point and just fully immersing myself in my project. Wow. I guess that's like kind of like my internal competitiveness, which is what drove me to get more flies than Brian Sylvie. Yeah. Like, all right, I'm going to be competitive with myself and run a hundred miles and body up to that point. God, Sylvie, that's, you know, I'll, I'll make note here just because I like to give people a heads up. Episode 148, we had Brian. Oh, God brian on it was a great episode he's what a legend yeah that guy's been a deschutes guide since before i was born yep yep he's he's killing it uh it's uh i haven't talked to him lately it's we're going through obviously the the uh, tough time right now with the steelhead runs but uh, we're hoping oh god yeah hoping we're gonna climb out of it oh yeah it's like uh hopefully not a bottomless pit that we're in. I just hope every year it'll keep, like, keep yeah. rebounding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to stay positive. I think that, you know, you look at the early nineties, uh, uh, you know, we had a similar drop that, you know, and, and it, it climbed oh, yeah. out, you know, it climbed out. We yeah. all remember what the two thousands were like. Oh yeah, for sure. And I always reflect cause I, like I said, the Skagit is my favorite river in the whole world. Mm. Like uh, what the early nineties, like on that river. Yep. And there were like thousands and thousands of fish moving into it. Yeah, I guess like, after all my experiences, my favorite fish I've ever caught is my big Skagit steelhead. It's uh, in my bio picture on the Umpqua Flies website. Uh huh. This like high teens hen. Uh-huh. It was like a difficult, like a difficult high bank cast, like big cast, and like yep. sixty or eighty feet out there. And I get this hard crushing grab, and the fish blasts off like five feet in the air, and oh. like like way into my backing, like immediately, and just such a powerful fish and my good friend clay from sims was fishing with me and unfortunately he was downstream and missed it and so my buddy it's uh, charles st pierre like kind of legendary northwest spay caster yep. he was like on the bank behind me hanging out and he snapped that picture and he's like do you want help tailing that and i'm like no i got this just like wrestle that not even wrestle but just like finesse that fish into the right spot and reach down and grab it and get that picture of my favorite steelhead wow that's a high te- upper teens a hen that's that's a upper nice hen, like, that's uh, a like slab. yeah my gear fishing friends in seattle that have caught tons of steelhead they're like a high teens hen is the most exciting fish like super acrobatic and super strong wow what fly took that fish oh uh, that's uh awesome like crazy neon pink like uh like marabou and rubber leg thing yep that i tied up and yeah it's just like I think you can get colors out of those synthetic materials like rubber legs that you can't get in natural stuff. And there's this little Northwest company called fish hunter that had the best marabou and the best colors. And they're like cerise, whatever it's cerise or tree, something is uh-huh. like super bright pink. So some of that marabou and some neon pink rubber legs. That's it. Pink. That's always a good, that, that one is one you don't always see on flies. Uh, yeah. Like unless it's like winter steelhead flies yeah. or salmon flies or something. Yep, that's it. That's it. I, I was on a note. Uh, we we talked about the steelhead coach, and that was John Hazel's fly back in the day. Yeah. All right, Hazel. So, no, this is cool. I, I we're gonna take this out of here uh, pretty quick. Um, I had one other note here I wanted to make sure to touch on because I always love a, a good music uh, uh, kind of some hit music history. You mentioned the punk rock and the hard rock. So I yeah, like uh, who is that? Give me some band names. Oh God, uh, 
And so like my friend Jake in Utah, he's like same as me. And that's why I'm like, we're going to be best friends. He's into like death metal and fly fishing guy. And, and so like some funny band names that I like, uh, one is like corpse grinder. Okay. And uh, God, yeah. Like uh, another one is like, a uh, uh, gate creeper. That's a Arizona. Are these old school bands or like contemporary, like new death metal bands? Oh, right. Well, what's a, what's a old, um, death metal band like that would you back in the day? Oh God. Like back in the day, I wasn't like super, super into it way back then. Like, uh, I kind of, I to this day, I still love old Metallica, yeah. like their first albums, like kill them all and ride the lightning. Okay. Yeah. I, don't know, I like the subgenre of metal, like thrash, which is like fast and kind of punky. Yep. God. Yeah. Like my, uh, I guess my favorite like long-term band is the misfits. We're not in the metal genre or like old punk rock. Yeah. That's good though. Misfits. That's amazing. Yeah, misfits. And so uh, I got way into collecting punk rock vinyl like years and years ago. And I had one of the more impressive misfits collections, which uh, I think I sold it all for around, I don't know, like five figures of whatever, like oh. when, I first, when I moved to Seattle, I got mixed up with this total joke of an outfitter that overpromised and underdelivered and was like, Oh, you'll be doing like six guided trips a month for me and I pay well and you should be making like 500 bucks or like, God, I don't even know, like some sort of amount, like $5,000 a month or something. And my over-promising and under-delivering, I had to liquidate my whole vinyl collection just to pay bills and life stuff. Oh, shit. yeah. Yeah, I guess like a quick side note. So above my fly tying desk hangs one of my favorite little misfits, seven inches that I've got framed. Like a little like a, I don't know the proper name. It's just a seven inch, like a little single. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I'll put, um, I'll put, we'll find a link, a little video to put in the show notes as well. Maybe the misfits or a Metallica or something like that. And get, we'll get some music. We'll listen to this one on, with some music. Uh, Old misfits are the first two Metallica albums. Perfect. Perfect. That's it. Well, so what do you have going Andrew in the next uh, kind of, uh, well, let's see, we're June now we're heading in the rest of this year. What, what's the next six months look like for you? What's new and exciting for me is after I had my engineering job that I couldn't stand, I kind of knew Matt Barber from Tom Morgan Rod Smith's and uh, texted him like, hey, Matt, I'm ready to ease back into working. He's like, uh, we'd love to have you around the rod shop. And so I'm kind of like the, uh, I don't know if apprentice is the correct word, but I just kind of feel like I'm like the official helper to our bamboo, like master craftsman guy. And yep, yeah, I just look at it like I'm, like bamboo apprentice guy to this guy, Rick plant. Our guy has been making bamboo rods for close to 40 years. And he is like, so detail oriented. He puts on like jewelers loops, like the little magnifying things to look over every rod. Cause we don't settle for anything less than perfection. Mm -hmm. It's just so cool. And so nuanced. And for me, it's like a mile away from home so I can walk to and from work. Oh, wow. Love that. Yeah, we uh, again doing like I said at the start. We've got or we're going to be pushing three <laughs> three hundred fifty episodes. So we've had a lot of the people, oh, yeah. but Tom Morgan, uh, we had uh, Matt and Joel on, and they talked about the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, such good dudes to be working for and hanging out with. Yeah, what a cool story too. You know, I mean, I think like that Tom Morgan story is probably one of the the cool stories, right? I mean, just his his impact and history. Yeah, like, like carry on his legacy and continue. exactly produce the like most high they're like yep. like lavishly not lavish like the most fine fly rods ever yep 
like in carrying on Tom's like vision for his name brand. Exactly. Well, it was perfection, right? Oh, Pretty much. That's that. That perfection. It's so cool how we just stick to his vision. Yeah. This is like something that was told to me kind of recently is we had, I think the owner of the Chicago Cubs was like, he wanted a, like, I'd like a bamboo fly rod and he wanted the wraps to be like Cubs colors and Tom's vision. Like his favorite was maroon. Like you'll get maroon and like it. <laughs> that's right. Definitely. Yeah. So that's still the way they are. They, they like their, the traditional. Yeah. We stick to Tom Martin's vision. Yeah. Like the highest, highest quality, everything and like same colors and whatever he loved. Yep. That's it. All right, Andy. Well, this is definitely uh, has been great to sit down this with has you. Been great, thank you, Dave. Super interesting, fun to chat with you. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, uh, your story is. Uh, I mean, it's inspiring. I think to me, uh, and, like I'm totally happy to share it with the world. And yeah, well, well I hope that uh, you'll probably get a few people that'll contact you out there because uh, this has been, uh, yeah, obviously inspirational. And um, and we'll send everybody out to. Let's see, where is the best place if we want to make sure they connect? Just at andrewgrillos.com. AndrewGrillos.com is good. Like my contact page on there. I'm super active with my Instagram account and uh, that's a good way to follow what I'm up to and get in touch with me. Good. Okay. So yes, I have my personal Instagram account, which is like Andrew fly guide and my public fly fishing account is like Andrew underscore Grillos underscore fly fishing. Yeah. I just kind of figured I should keep my personal account separate from my fly fishing dude account. Right. Yeah. Kind of better to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's it. Nice. So I, um, yeah, we'll definitely, I am going to keep in touch with you because I love, this is a, a story that I want to, uh, you know, help uh, get the word out there. I think, again, I always think back when people hear this, what are they going to take away? And I think like your passion, you know what I mean? Your, your persistence and, uh, and, and coming through something that, right. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate that little shout out or mention right there. You bet. All right, Andrew, we'll talk to you soon and, uh, and have a good rest of the week. Yeah, you do the same. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on. So there you go. Wetflyswing.com slash 339. Wetflyswing.com slash 339. We'll get you the links to show notes and, and the good stuff over there. I'm going to get out of here pretty quick. Just want to remind you, uh, travel time. we got this new thing going. I'm going to be traveling potentially uh, to your neck of the woods if you win this uh, little bonus thing we have going here. So you can go to wetflyswing.com slash travel time. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-T-I-M-E. And all you got to do is enter your email, uh, and we will draw. We're going to be drawing some winners as we go throughout the year. So not only are you going to be able to connect uh, with me, we've got a bunch of goodies going, but I'm going to be meeting out you. We're going to get a guide. We're going to get on the river. We're going to do some fishing. We're going to catch some fish. Uh, that's the plan, right? So this is, this is good. Travel time. Check it out. I want to give you a heads up. I'm out of here. It is a warm one today, so I am going to go maybe jump in the river. Hope you're able to jump in the river. I hope you are having a great day, a great evening, a great morning, wherever you are. And I hope to talk to you soon, maybe even see you online or maybe on this upcoming travel time. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.